Good morning. Invite our friends that are heading to Children's Church and Toddler Nursery to be dismissed at this time. Those who will be remaining in the sanctuary, if you would please, turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 as we continue our Songs for Our Savior series. Psalm 34. A psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in any want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for the power of your word to transform our minds and our hearts and our lives and to shape us and to mold us into the image of Christ. Father, this morning we pray that by your grace, for your glory, for our good, you would do a great work in our lives as we settle in under the power of your good word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, starting in the superscript, so a psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. There's nothing in your notes about this because I, I had a... I had an internal wrestling conflict with myself this week about what to, to do with this. And there's a whole lot of theories about why this is the way that like this thing I'm about to tell you why it is the way that it is. And it would have taken 20 or 25 minutes to do justice to all of the theories. And then we wouldn't have any time left for the actual sermon. And so some of you are super savvy people. I know this because you like come back the next week or a couple of weeks later and you send me an email or you text me or you catch me in the hall and you say, hey. I was looking at that thing in this and this, and it seems like they don't fit. Can you help me understand what that is? So I'm going to go ahead and let you know. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, where this story is taken from, 
The name of the king that David feigned madness before is not Abimelech. And that bothers some people. Because this says he feigned madness before Abimelech. And then you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and the guy's name was Akesh. And some people really get stressed out about that. There's a lot of theories as to why that is. I'm only going to give you one this morning. The one that actually tends to make the most sense and makes everybody the most comfortable. All the other ones would have made everybody uncomfortable and we would have had to take a lot of time. So Abimelech is an Old Testament name. We come across people named Abimelech in several places in the Old Testament. However, Abimelech is also a compound Hebrew word. From two words, Abi, from the father, or the rough Hebrew word for father with a preposition attached to it. And Melech, which is the Hebrew word for king. So it could also be a title, the fatherly king, or from the father who is a king. Or it could just be a designation that this is a royal line where the royalty is passed on through childbearing from one father to his son. That That's the idea. Most scholars tend to think, who are at least biblically conservative anyway, tend to think that this is a title for Achish, that he was part of a royal line, that he was part of a, a descending group of kings at the time, and that this is one of the ways that someone would have talked about Achish, giving him not the name Abimelech, but the title Abimelech, and this would have come about later on, and this is why we have this now. So all of the other theories are crazy complicated, and we're just not going to take a lot of time to deal with them. If you'd like to hear about them, I'm happy to share with those with you sometime. I'll pray, you pay, we'll have lunch together, and it'll be excellent and great. So so there's that, because I know some of you are going to go home, you're going to turn back to that story and say, well, I want to see the context of the story, and you're not going to see Abimelech's name anywhere in that story, and it's going to bother you. So I want to go ahead and head that off. So... It's okay. I take a deep breath. It's okay. All right. Good deal. All right. So now jumping into this. So we have the story from first Samuel where David pretends to be insane to not run into conflict with King, particularly King Achish, uh, after he had received the sword of Goliath from Ahimelech, uh, the priest at the time. And David then sings this song in response to God's deliverance from a conflict, an unnecessary conflict with King Achish. And he starts out with a declaration that he will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord. I will thank the Lord. I will give praise to God's name. And he gives the designation of when he will do this. I will bless the Lord at all times. Let's... Let's go, let's go ahead and let that settle. At all times. Not at some times. Not when the grass is very green and the breeze is very nice and the day is very pleasant and the sunshine is enjoyable. Like yesterday. If you got to spend any time outside yesterday. Easy day to praise the Lord. Now, a few days ago, there were robust thunderings and rain and wind. And I heard it outside in the middle of the night. It was clearly throwing things around in my yard. A little bit of more unsettling time to bless the Lord's name. You're sitting in the delivery room and the child has been born and everybody's healthy. Easy to bless the Lord. 
You're sitting in the NICU and they don't know if the baby's going to make it. A little more difficult time to bless the Lord's name. But David says, I will bless your name at all times. Let's think about the context of 1 Samuel. What's going on? He is running away from Saul who wants to kill him. Saul has been rejected by God. David has been anointed by Samuel, the last great judge, and and then transitioned into prophet. He has declared that David is going to be the true anointed king. David should be on the throne, and instead he's trying to find refuge with his enemies in foreign places because the people where he should be reigning are trying to kill him. And in the process, he's bumping up against other kings who have heard of his great military victories, and they also are thinking about killing him when he shows up there and he says in that context, I will bless the Lord at all times. It wasn't a bright, sunshiny day for David. That's not what was going on. He'll bless the Lord in fear. He'll bless the Lord in conflict. He'll bless the Lord in uncertainty. Because friends, God's worthy of our worship and adoration And praises do his name regardless of our circumstances. And notice what he says as he continues. He says that his praise shall continually be in his mouth. I will praise him regardless of what's going on. That's the idea of blessing the Lord. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. I will boast in the Lord. David gets into trouble later in life when he stops boasting in the Lord and starts boasting in David. But early in his life, he boasts in the Lord. When Goliath stands against the nation of Israel, what is it that David says? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would dare stand against the armies of God. David was not boasting in himself. He said, when I delivered the sheep from the bear and from the lion, the Lord gave them to me. And he will also give this Philistine into my hand, boasting in the Lord. You come at me with a spear, with a shield, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Boast in the Lord. He had every right to overthrow Saul. To physically and violently remove him from the throne. And you know what he said? I won't raise a hand against the Lord's anointed. I'll go into hiding. I'll go into exile. I'll allow my life to be much more difficult than it needs to be because I want to honor the Lord. He boasts in the Lord. Friends, that's really, really, really hard to do. It's way easier to boast in ourselves. Way easier. David very readily could have just said, look who I am. I was anointed by the last great judge. I was anointed by the prophet Samuel. God himself has declared that I am king. Come on, army, let's go. Let's throw this imposter off of the throne. Let's do the... He could have done that. But he didn't. I'm going to boast in the Lord. And then he invites the community to magnify the Lord with him. 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me, verse 3, and let us exalt his name together. When David was truly and meaningfully walking with the Lord at various points in his life, he never kept the magnification of God's name to himself. He said, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to bless God. I'm going to magnify God. I'm going to boast in the Lord. Come on, people of God, do it with me. Because all of us, hear me this morning, friend, all of us have valid, meaningful reasons to magnify God's name today. Doesn't matter what you're going through. You have incredibly great reasons to magnify the name of the Lord. And David recognized this. He recognized, hey, it's going great for me. Sorry, it's so bad for you. No, even no matter what's happening in the community, no matter what's happening in the community. No, it doesn't matter at all. One bit. We have great reasons to magnify the Lord. And so notice what David then says. Look at verse four. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. I sought the Lord. I know that that makes some people very uncomfortable. The New Testament says no one seeks God. This is true in your unrepentant, unconverted pagan state where you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Please tell me this morning that you don't have some version of a theology that once the Lord has redeemed you and he's bought you a price and he's brought you into his covenant, that somehow you're still incapable of seeking him. That's really bad theology. By the way, I just want to throw that out there. If that's what you got going, let's talk about that way before we talk about who Akesh was and why his name is different in one part of the Bible to another. David had a heart for the Lord. David had been transformed by the Lord. David was in the covenant relationship with the Lord. And as such, he sought the Lord. Why? Because looking for anything else would have not fulfilled David in any meaningful way. David's afraid. David's concerned. David has stress. David has anxiety. David has people actively trying to kill him. Now, I don't know everybody's past. I don't know everybody's background. I don't know what everybody's been through. But it's probably a fraction of a percentage of people in this room who have actively had multiple people at one time seeking to kill them. Not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying it's probably a really small number. David is on the run on all sides. Everybody wants to kill David for the most part. There's a handful of people who have his back and everybody else is like, wow, if I can just get a little bit closer to that David guy, he's a goner. David has real genuine stress about the well-being of his life. And what does he say? I sought the Lord. I, I don't know about you. Yes. Yes. That's what I would be doing. 
And notice what happens here. There's a seeking, there's an answering, and there's a delivering. I sought the Lord. That's my responsibility. I'm in covenant with the Lord. I know in my humility and my humbled and low estate that there's nothing of value that I can do in and of my own strength. So I must pursue after the things of Christ. So I will seek the Lord and the Lord in his love and compassion for me will answer me. That's the beautiful thing. That's the beautiful thing about our relationship with the Lord. He will answer you. Now, occasionally the answer will be no, and we have to be okay with that, but he will answer us. And what else will he do? He will deliver us. Hear this language and hear it carefully. He will deliver me from all of my enemies and problems and all of my circumstances got really awesome really quick. No, that's not anywhere close to what it says. And he delivered me from all my fears. David was still worried that Akesh was going to kill him. David was still worried that Saul was going to kill him. David was still concerned of a host of other people thinking about killing him. Like guys, really, when you go into that last part of first Samuel and you start running down all the people who want David dead, it's a very stressful list. I happened a few thousand years ago and everything's fine now. I still get stressed out for David when I read the story. It's like, wow, everybody wants to kill you. And many of them are actively trying. Okay. What did God deliver him from? The people trying to kill him? Eventually. But in that moment, delivered him from his fear. From his fear. Not his circumstances. His response to his circumstances. God, these circumstances I find myself in have me stressed. And anxious and worried and fearful. But I've sought you and you've answered me and you've delivered me from my fear. Notice what happens to the community of God when they all do the same thing together. There's a shift here in the pronouns. They... They who that community that was mentioned, there was an invitation in verse three. Hey, let's all of us together do this. That invitation continues in the back part of this section. When the community of God seeks the Lord and he answers them and delivers them from their fear, what happens? They looked to him. They sought him and they were radiant. Their faces were never ashamed. Friends, we all together collectively as the community of the Most High through Jesus Christ get to participate together in the shared experience of being delivered from our fears. It's not something special that was just for David because he was the king. This is for everyone. And notice what David says. He says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. That word for poor is the word afflicted, this afflicted man. That is the right word for David to be using in this historical context. This afflicted man. This afflicted man. 
You don't get much more afflicted than what David's going through. David, you're the rightful king. There's no way you can sit on a throne right now. And if you're not careful, you're going to die. Because the old king and some of the other kings and some people who support those kings are trying to kill you. That's affliction. I'm not trying to belittle it. Affliction is not Starbucks running out of the pumpkin spice latte. It's not. Oh, Lord, deliver me from. No, please don't. Please don't. David is experiencing profound affliction. And he's telling the community around him, many, if not all of you who are God's godly ones who love him, who are seeking his face, are sharing in affliction. And he is going to demonstrate this compassion to you the same way he did to me. God is not just the lover of the high and the mighty. God is also the lover of the weak and lowly. Praise God. And notice what he says to the community as way of encouragement in verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. There it goes again back to the community aspect. If we had time, which we do not have time, we would break into the profound reality that for the most part, not in every case, but for the most part, the angel of the Lord is a wonderful representation in the Old Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great studies have been written on this. And most places, not every place, but most places, if you read his name there, the flavor of it is overwhelming with the grace of God. The Lord Jesus Christ encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. Amen. And then it moves to one of my favorite metaphors in all of the Bible. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This this concept of tasting is one of the strongest human metaphors that exists. It's one of the reasons why in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Substantial feasts and or symbolic realities for spiritual things are associated with food. Because every human being understands the need and drive toward food and eating. We cannot live without it. We have to eat and drink. This is how we have been made. You can only go a certain length of time without eating. And a much shorter length of time without drinking. Or you will die. Our very life is tied up in the consumption of food. The consumption of things. And God knows this and understands this. And in his kindness and his compassion toward us. Gives us one of the strongest metaphors that there can be for a human person. You want to know how good God is? Come and taste and see how good he is. Consume him, consider him an extraordinary meal. Now, of course, we don't have to go far to create parallels to the Lord's table. 
in the language that Jesus used about his body and his blood and that sort of thing. But I, I don't know about you. I've never really comprehended the desire and longing for people to eat bad tasting food. There are people out there like legit really live in our world like that's their jam and I just don't get it. There's a host of other reasons why, but a chief reason why I'm certain I never could have excelled to the highest levels of athleticism is the kind of diet those people have to eat. Oh, how exciting. Plain broccoli and plain chicken and rice once again for the fifth time today. No, I, no, no, mm -mm, no. A whole bunch of years ago, I got with a guy and we're doing some workout stuff and some progress was happening. He said, OK, look, you need to take two weeks and this is how you need to eat. And you'll see the best results at the end of the two weeks. And so I got two days into eating the way he told me to eat. I was like, dude, I don't want those results, man. This is awful. It's terrible. No, thank you. I'm, I'm happy with where I've made it to and I'll just hang out here. Please give me some marinade and, you know, a little steak, some shrimp. You know, I, we're not doing what you just asked me to do. It's not happening. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I won't name the place, but our two sons have birthdays very close to each other. And we decided to have like a big celebratory birthday dinner. And we finally were able to get around to it. And we went last night and this particular place happens to walk around the restaurant with large flavor filled slabs of meat that they slice off in front of you at the table. Oh, man. Mm. And they would walk by and they would say, hey, do you want some of this? And I would say, well, what is it? And they would tell me what it was and what it was flavored with. And I would say, you better believe I want some of that right here on this plate. And, you know, it, it's 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 incredible flavor experience. I think you start to kind of get close to this verse in an environment like that. When God talks about his banquet table, it's not blandness. It's not drab. It's not, it's not that force-fed thing that you do to your kids to try to make them eat food that even you don't like, but you know it's good for them. God can miraculously turn all of that into just tasty and healthy, you know? It's like old Tim Hawkins joke about, you know, Lord, transform these Cheetos as we eat them into something valuable in our stomach, you know? God's able to make this. And, and, and when we think about tasting and eating, everyone, it comes to your mind immediately when people start talking about food. The, the a favorite meal or an environment or something you remember from your childhood or, or sitting at your grandmother's house or around some table celebrating some great event. There are all of these experiences of joy that we naturally tie to the memory of food. And David here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us this is how we should associate our relationship with God. That when we think of him, we should think of him as that great banquet that we've had, that great memory that we've shared, that great joy that comes from food. And friends, that's tied to refuge, safety, security. I have no memories of great food experiences where I left afraid. Like I, the two don't go together. The great food experiences that I've had. 
I felt safe and love and comfort and peace. It's fellowship. And there's a reason why there's a tying of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good with the idea that God is our refuge. Even at one of my favorite barbecue places in Memphis, there was somebody that wrote a review, actual review. You can find it on the Internet. They wrote a review. They said, they said, hey, I for real got stabbed here. But the food was amazing and I'm thinking about going back. Like, seriously, it's a real, it's a real review. You know, even that person put out of their mind the fact that they got stabbed and said, this is amazing. I'll probably will try it again. No one associates great food experiences with bad memories. You just figure out a way to push it to the side. And here David ties that together. You say, Philip, you're belaboring this point. No, friend, you need to understand that our coming to the Lord for safety, for refuge, for being blessed by him, for being delivered from our fears is like the experience of the greatest experience that you've ever had with food in your life. He's doing that on purpose. And I think so many of us approach God hoping for crumbs, expecting crumbs, expecting leftovers, somewhat ashamed of approaching the Lord. Friends, there's no shame in this. The Lord has prepared a great feast for us. And he has invited us in as welcome guests to a place of safety and joy. And he invites us to sit down and dine with him. What a beautiful picture of God's care for us. Hey, David, you're running from all these kings and they want to kill you and they want to hurt you. And your life is crazy hard right now. You know what you need? Come on here and take a seat and pull up a chair and let's get a plate and let's enjoy ourselves for a second. It's like when I went to my grandmother's house. It's always a cookie. I don't know how it was at your grandmother's house. That's how it was at my grandmother's house. It didn't matter how old I was either. You think eventually, you know, it's like, hey, you get, yeah, got to be shorter than this ride, this ride. Oh, no. Go to grandma's house. Hey, you want a cookie? Absolutely, I do. And the older I got, the more awesome feeling the cookie was. Because she cared. There was love there. This is the picture. And it's a beautiful picture. And what are the benefits of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? Taking refuge in Him. Well, first, you're blessed. Just plainly, it says in the second half of verse 8, you're blessed. You have also no fear of want. Friends, when the Lord is truly your refuge, it does not matter how much you actually need out in life. How much you're longing for in your circumstances. If you are in Christ Jesus and he has welcomed you in and given you a seat at his table so that you can taste and see that he is good. You have no want. There's nothing else in this world that you actually need. Not one thing. Jesus is enough. We say it. But most of the times we don't believe it. 
He's enough. There's no want. And then he makes the picture, the the metaphor of lions suffer. They suffer hunger, but not the people of God. And then David embarks on an incredibly long invitation to the community of faith. Verses 11 through the end of the chapter in 22 is a long invitation to the community of faith. He says, come and listen. Come, you children, listen to me. And it's an invitation to learn the ways of the Lord. Notice what he says. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, he kind of breaks it down into some categories for us. So first, do you desire life and length of days? In this, remember the historical context of this psalm. Everyone's trying to kill David. So he asks the question, do you want life and length of days? Yes, please. Because everyone's trying to kill me. I would like that a lot right now. Actually, that would be at the top of my blessings list to actually live past tomorrow. This is not just some sort of metaphorical, spiritual allegory. This is real for David. I don't want to die today. I'd like to have a nice, long, full life from these people who are trying to kill me. So what does he say? He says, if you want life and length of days, is this what you want? Do you want a nice, full, rich life? He breaks down three things. One, keep your tongue from evil. It is our mouths that get us into the most trouble. It is. More fights, more conflicts, more broken relationships, and by extension, more wars have broken out over people's inability to control their mouths than just about anything else. Keep your tongue from evil. And he expounds on that in your lips from speaking deceit. Second. Depart from evil and do good. Oh, hey, look over here in the corner of the city of man. There's a really bad idea. Somebody get the camera. Let's film this. I think I'm going to participate in this today. No, depart from evil and do good. There are more than ample number of times in my youth where I should have looked at a situation that was presented to me and said, yeah, I'm not doing that. Instead, I think I'll go over and do this, which is a much better option. Depart evil, pursue good, do the good thing. And then finally, you want a desire of life and length of days? Seek peace and pursue it. It's really easy to find conflict. It's very difficult to find peace. We need to seek for peace. We need to pursue after peace. We need to try to find avenues of peacefulness. Next, look at what it says. This this invitation to learn the ways of the Lord. So you want length of days. This is how you find length of days. And then you will have the eyes of the Lord. Look at what it says in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward... The righteous. 
His ears are open to their cry. God's eyes are on the righteous. His ears, and it talks about this again later as we keep pushing through this. His ears is open to their cry. He hears the righteous. And instead, God's face is against evil doers. He stands against those who pursue after the wicked rather than the good. And God himself, if we keep pushing through, is near, verse 18, to the broken hearted. Friends, often when we are broken hearted, we feel as if God is far away. The scripture teaches very plainly that when we are broken hearted, if we are in covenant with the Lord, that is when he is near us. Notice what it says he does at the end of verse 18. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. That word for crushed could also be translated contrite. Those who are contrite in spirit, God saves them. By the way, that is the nutshell of the gospel. What must I do to be saved? You must repent. You must believe on the Lord. Well, what does it mean to repent? What does it mean to trust? It means for the pride and the arrogance and the wretchedness and the sinfulness of my spirit to be broken, to become contrite, to be crushed by the weight of the glory of God and to turn away from all that I am to all that he is. He saves the contrite in spirit, the one who has a crushed spirit. He saves him. Look at David preaching the gospel. A good long while before Jesus was born. And then he closes with an affirmation of how things are. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Friend, it's just true. Afflictions don't always come on you because you did something wrong. That's not the way it always is. Sometimes there's just affliction. Sometimes there's great reasons for it. Sometimes there's no reason for it. And there's all sorts of sliding scales in between. But know this, if you live long enough and pay, pay close enough attention, your afflictions will be many. The one downside of the whole promise of length of days is that it brings about often many afflictions. The longer you live, the more opportunity you have to bump up against affliction. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But notice the promise. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Amen. Mm. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Very veiled, very small, very tucked away reference to a prophecy fulfilled by Jesus the Messiah. Evil shall slay the wicked. You reap what you sow. If your whole life is sown in the, pro in the pursuit of evil, evil will consume you. It will. There's no way of getting around it. You say, but what about these guys who make it all the way to the end of their life and all they ever did was wicked and there was never any real justice for them? There is real justice. For them. We just didn't see it. 
But I guarantee you, they felt it. Notice, though, this last great promise. The righteous, the righteous will not be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants. Plural, again, not just for David, for everyone. All those who are the people of God. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That word for condemned means held Guilty. None of us who are in him finding our place of safety and joy in him, like we saw earlier, coming to taste and see that he is good. We will not be held guilty. Friends, the only way that you can have true and meaningful satisfaction in this life where your circumstances do not overwhelm you and the fear that could so easily overcome you is pushed away is to find it in the delivering power of the refuge of Jesus Christ. That's it. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this truth from your word. The comfort that it should bring to our hearts and lives, Father. As we are made into the image of Christ. Father, let us even this very day taste and see that you are good. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to sing a song of response together with us this morning.